Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Father, what a joy is ours to gather here today. And um, thank you for this great milestone in, in Matt and Amy's lives and how hard he's worked these nine years and excelled in his biblical studies. He has uh, worked hard and it has been evident that your hand is upon him. And we do pray for your blessing and we thank you for raising up spiritual leaders in our lives. We need them and we depend upon them. All of us do. And thank you for the testimonies and the examples in your word of spiritual leaders. And now as we open our Bibles through the ministry of your Holy Spirit in these few minutes, as we, as we turn our focused attention upon you and your word, would you please encourage us and strengthen us? And I ask that you would particularly encourage Matt this morning as well. As uh, just one week from today, he begins a whole new era of his life. We'll look for your hand of blessing to be upon him, and we'll count on your hand of blessing to be upon us here at Fellowship as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray, committing ourselves to the hearing of the word. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And as you're seated, would you grab your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 3? We are um, just going to look at the topic of spiritual leadership today. It's been on my heart, and particularly in light of uh, this acknowledgement of Matt's ordination, I thought that it would be appropriate for us. I want to tell you uh, right at the beginning that I have three reasons for preaching this message today. First of all, I want to encourage Matt. Matt, I trust that you'll be strengthened um, in the reality of God's call upon your life as a spiritual leader. Um, secondly, I trust that God will use this to strengthen our church, to recognize the blessing of what it means to have spiritual leaders in our lives. And all of us need spiritual leadership in our lives. And one of the gifts that God gives us is people outside of ourselves to help us live this Christian life, and to help us be accountable in walking in obedience to the Word of God. Spiritual leadership is a gift to the church and a gift to all of us. Thirdly, it is possible that the testimony of Matt and Amy here today may have stirred the heart of some young person or maybe some not-so-young person. And Maybe God is stirring your heart, some young man for pastoral ministry or some young woman to be involved at a higher level in missions or ministry, commitment in spiritual leadership. And maybe today God would use the message to help define His will in your life. I trust that could be true. We're not turning to Matthew today. If you're not regular with us, we've been preaching through the Gospel of Matthew and we're in chapter 12. And we're actually going to just put Matthew aside for a few weeks. We will be entering the season, the seasonal message time now with Thanksgiving and then into December. And I think it will be January before we turn back to Matthew other than the Christmas story. Um, and uh, today... I wanted to talk about spiritual leadership. Have you noticed in God's Word that God always works through people? God doesn't need us, but He chooses to work through us. You've heard the worn-out story, I'm sure, of the 
pastor who has retirement was coming up. And so he had bought a piece of ground. Um, this was out west and it was part of a ranch. And he always wanted a piece of ground and a place to retire. And, and so on his day off before his retirement, he started heading up to the ranch and he was clearing brush and trees and picking rock and, and cleaning things up. It had been in, in disrepair for many years and had just been overgrown. And a nearby rancher who was working his land always enjoyed watching the preacher run his chainsaw and get his old pickup truck going and burn brush and, and clear the land. And finally, one day after things were starting to shape up, the old rancher went over to the preacher at the fence there and they talked and, and the rancher said, uh, preacher said, you and God are just doing a great job cleaning up this land. And the preacher said, well, thank you. He said, he said, did you notice, did you happen to notice what this place looked like when God had it to himself? And that's a little bit how it is with spiritual leadership. God can do whatever he wants to do, however he wants to do it. You'll notice in scripture that God raises up people to accomplish his work. In scripture, we have some, some great and classic stories of how God raised up specifically spiritual leaders when God's people were in seasons of need. And regularly throughout scripture, you see that God does not let his people go leaderless. And we have many stories we could turn to. I'm picturing, I'm picturing the prophet Samuel thumping old King Saul on the chest when he disobeyed and did not wipe out the Amalekites. God raised up a spiritual leader to turn the hearts of the people back to God and to, to take old Agag down to the river and, and hew him in pieces. I'm thinking of the prophet Nathan thumping King David on the chest when he had gone on an immoral hiatus and, and was far from God in a season in his life and he needed brought back in. He needed spiritual leadership in his life. And God put it on Nathan, go to the king and talk to him. What is a more classic moment in scripture of the forces of light and darkness coming together than at Mount Carmel, where Elijah single-handedly takes on the prophets of Baal. Israel had a wicked King Ahab, an even more wicked queen, Jezebel. And uh, they were promoting the prophets of Baal, these pagan, horrible, wicked prophets of, of blood and destruction. And there was drought in the land as a response to the people's carnality and the people's turning away from God. And for three years it hadn't rained. And, and then Elijah takes on the prophets of Baal and there they have this confrontation. God raised up a spiritual leader to cry out to the people, Today you must choose whether you're going to serve the living God. That, that reminds us of an earlier day when Joshua stood before the people late in his life and cried out, Choose ye this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Spiritual leadership is so important. It's not a mistake that the metaphor that is often used in Scripture to describe God's people, both Israel and His church, is that we are sheep. And what does God say? That sheep without a shepherd scatter. Sheep without a shepherd are vulnerable to wolves, danger. God uses spiritual leadership. I would like to turn our attention in the time that we have to 
one of the greatest spiritual leaders that God ever raised up for one of the greatest spiritual tasks that God ever called a man to do. And that is this great spiritual leader, Moses, in the Old Testament. And we're going to just jump right into the middle of his story in chapter 3. It occurred to me, Matt, that um, chapter 3 reminds us that here's a man working in obscurity uh, in the family business when God calls on him. And I picture you crawling through attics in Martinsburg and the surrounding area through the years. Um, 15 years at least in the HVAC business in obscurity in some attic working on duck work. And God says, there's my man. It's a little bit the feeling that you get when you start reading in Exodus chapter 3. You'll recall, won't you, that Moses was born at a precarious time when God's people were captive in Egypt. And they had been there for 400 years. They had gotten there through Joseph, remember? And then they had begun to um, just grow in population. And God blessed them. And at a time when Pharaoh said, look, we're being overrun by the Israelites in Egypt. And they had put them in bondage and they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. He was worried about their population growth. God was blessing them. And he was worried that an enemy might come and attack and that the Israelites might join forces and ally up with a nearby enemy and overthrow the Egyptian government and armies and free themselves. And so he decided to put a mandate out. This is chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Exodus. He put a mandate out to kill and slaughter all the baby boys. And uh, remember Moses was put in that little basket made of reeds and put out in the Nile River there, and there Pharaoh's own daughter found Moses, took him home and raised him. And so Moses had this most remarkable life of being raised in Pharaoh's court. He was highly educated. Historians like uh, the ancient historian Josephus uh, say that um, Moses was raised there, that he had become a powerful general, even commanding some of their armies, that he was trained in all of the sciences, all of the wisdom of the ancient Egyptians, including the, the military warfare and strategies. And there, as a young man, you will recall then that in chapter 2, we find Moses believing and Stephen in his message in Acts chapter 7 in the New Testament, uh, the disciple Stephen, you recall, that he preached about this and he said that Moses was a man mighty in word and deed. And he says there that Moses believed that God was going to use him to free Israel from Egypt. And, and this was a time when Moses was coming into maturity. He was probably about 40 years old and he realized, as Hebrews 11 says, that he could either stay and enjoy the the privileges of his life in Egypt and Pharaoh's court, or he could turn away and he could deny the flesh. And rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, he would serve the Lord. And it was in that context and mindset that he saw an Egyptian overseer whipping an Israelite slave and he laid hands on him and he killed him and he buried him in the sand. He thought that that was the beginning of his leadership and that he would lead people out of Egypt and it was a time that God was going to use and it wasn't God's time at all. The next day he encounters a couple of Israelite slaves arguing and he goes up to them and confronts them and stops them and they point the finger at him and say, who do you think you are 
to tell us what to do when you killed a man yesterday. That sent him in flight out into the desert. There he meets a a girl, imagine that, marries her. Her father is Jethro. They have at least two sons. And for the next 40 years, Moses is far away from his people out in the desert tending sheep. That's where we pick it up in Exodus chapter 3. Let's read quickly much of the chapter, if not the whole chapter. And then what I would like to simply do is I would simply like to draw out of the text some insights or lessons that I trust will be helpful on spiritual leadership for us today. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb is another name for Sinai. Um, Bible students believe that it's possible that Moses is writing this after, later in his life, after he had received the Ten Commandments on Sinai, remember? And so that's why he called it the mountain of God. Or it's possible that it was already considered a, a sacred place. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Bible students also believe that that phrase, the angel of the Lord, and you see that Lord is in all capital letters, that it is an implication. Uh, The idea there is that it is likely, it is likely a pre-incarnate appearance of the second member of the Godhead. So it would be the role of Christ before he was incarnate. And he was there speaking to Moses And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see what this great sight is, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Let's outline the chapter as we read. And the first thing we see in the chapter, number one, is the call of Moses. And God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, verse four. And he said, Moses said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. I think a quite appropriate response. Moses was a wilderness shepherd for 40 years. He's now 80 years old. He knew this part of the country inside and out, and he had never seen a bush burst into flames before, I'm sure. He realizes something is up. God used it to to catch his eye. He brings him over and God speaks to him out of the fire in the bush. And number two, what we see out of verse five is we see the character of God reflected in the call for Moses to take off his shoes. I am a holy God, he's saying. You need to get your shoes off. You don't know where those shoes have walked. They're dirty. Take your shoes off and you're in the presence of a holy God. And God speaks to him out of his character of holiness. And Moses recognizes that God is speaking to him. God begins to speak then and he says in verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hides his face. He's afraid to look at God. Verse 7, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I have heard their cry. The third thing we see, verse 7, is the cry of the people. The cry of the people. Because of their taskmasters. 
And I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them. We see the compassion of God. Number four, the compassion of God, verses 7 through 9 as well. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, all wicked people. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 10, we have number five, the commission of Moses. He is commissioned to a task. Verse 10, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. There it is. His call turns into a commission. He's given a task. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. We see in verse 11, the concern of Moses, his concern. Who am I? Verse 12, he said, God said, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve on this mountain. That's going to be confirmation in the future. You're going to return to this place. And indeed he did. And you can read about that in Exodus chapter 19 and 20. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your father, Moses has a further concern. What if I speak to the people and the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is a statement about the self-existence of God. No outside forces. No, I was what I was. I will be what I will be. I always am what I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise you could underline that in your Bible, verse 17. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and all of the ites in a land flowing with milk and honey, verse 18. And they will listen to your voice. They will listen to your voice. We have the commitment of God to stand with Moses and the promise of God. We have God's commitment. Number seven, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Sometimes people accuse Moses of being deceptive that he really wanted to escape, which he did. But I take it that he really did want to go three days out and worship. He just wasn't telling Pharaoh the end of the story. But God knew that he wouldn't let him go. But I know, God says to Moses, go ask him. But I know, verse 19, that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. You see, God had a demonstration for all the world to see that he was God. And Pharaoh's hard heart, God allowed it to stay hard and affirm the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. And it's what Pharaoh wanted is to have a hard heart because he hated God and he worshiped false gods in Egypt, the river Nile God and frog gods and lice gods and fly gods and all kinds of gods. 
And so God rained down the ten, the ten plagues. And he showed the whole world that he was God and not Pharaoh. Finally, Pharaoh says, get out of my country. And I will give the people, this people, favor in the sight of God. Verse 21. Sight of, excuse me, I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. This is the care of God, finally. The care of God for his people. He's going to load them down with all of the loot out of Egypt. You shall not go empty, verse 22, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, and you shall plunder the Egyptians. And we'll stop right there at the end of where chapter 4 begins. And that's the context in which we're looking at spiritual leadership this morning. And let us go right to our application. What are some lessons about spiritual leadership that we have out of this most interesting time in Moses' life, this great spiritual leader. Lesson number one that occurred to me is sort of what I referenced already about a man in maturity being interrupted at the family business and being called by God. Number one lesson on spiritual leadership that we learned this morning from Moses' testimony, number one, is that spiritual leaders are often recruited from ordinary, even obscure places. Spiritual leaders are often recruited by God from ordinary, even obscure places. And one of the lessons is, is that God doesn't overlook anyone, and you don't have to necessarily be living in Pharaoh's court for him to put you in leadership. At this time, he was 40 years out in the desert thinking there would never be a time when he would lead anyone. The second lesson we get out of our text today is that spiritual leaders often experience defining moments When God's call becomes undeniable. Let me say that again. Spiritual leaders often experience defining moments when God's call becomes undeniable. That's what happened at the burning bush, isn't it? I mean, Moses had a mindset 40 years before. I'm sure that he had put that far from him. He had no idea that God was going to use him in spiritual leadership. And then one day, in a most unexpected way, things began to come together and he couldn't figure it out other than God began to speak to him in this most unusual and special way. And it became clear to him, God is putting a call on my life. I'm not suggesting that God necessarily lights bushes on fire anymore. I guess he could if he wanted He doesn't seem to work like that so often. But I would say that when you talk to most people who are in spiritual leadership positions, they will often say, I had no idea God was going to do this. And then and then they can begin to tell you the stories. And Matt can do this. It would be fun if we had time to let him come up and take the mic and share a couple of his testimonies. I remember one of those times is as he had been at Moody Pastors Conference and at some and Alistair Begg's Pastors Conference and, and God began to just really pull on his heart and a love for the Word of God and a, a love for preaching that began to consume him. And he talked to me face to face and he said, I've got to tell my dad I'm leaving. These moments when God says, this is, this is it, this is it, something's going to give. You will see those times in your life. Thirdly, spiritual leaders are raised up by God to move people from where they are to where they ought to be. Notice in verses, uh, in verse 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. 
and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. And I know their suffering, and I've come to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. Listen, number three spiritual lesson about leadership today, spiritually speaking, is that spiritual leaders are raised up by God to move people from where they are to where they ought to be. Egypt in the Bible, except... When Joseph was there gathering grain in Goshen, which was a very fertile area in Egypt, apart from the demonstration in Joseph's life back in Genesis 49:50, in that section of Genesis, uh, 400 years before, Goshen was a haven. Goshen was an ark in the middle of a dying world of starvation and drought. Other than that, you will find in Scripture that Egypt is always an example of where believers and God's people are not supposed to be. And in fact, Canaan, the promised land, crossing Jordan, is always in Scripture a metaphor for where God's people are supposed to be, the place of His blessing. God observes His people in Egypt and He sees they are in Egypt, they don't belong in Egypt, and the time has come, I want to move them from where they are to where they ought to be. The old hymn writers often used Canaan or Jordan, crossing over Jordan into the promised land as a picture of what? Of going to heaven even. Where I belong, I don't belong here. I'm a pilgrim, I'm a sojourner. I'm a temporary dweller here. And I'm a transient and I'm heading to where I belong. And this is a picture of how God wanted to use Moses. Spiritual leaders are raised up by God to get us where we're supposed to be. And don't we need help getting where we're supposed to be? Left to ourselves, we go get ourselves, like sheep, tangled up in some barbed wire somewhere, and we make a mess of things, and we leave the green pasture, and we're off trying to forage in dry brown weeds somewhere with thistles and thorns until the shepherd comes with his hook and his rod, and he directs us back to where we ought to be. That's the role of the spiritual leader. That's what God was raising Moses up. Matt, that's what God is raising you up to do. You've got to have vision. You've got to define reality. You're the leader. You're the shepherd. You're the spiritual leader. Getting people where they are to where they're supposed to be. Fourthly, out of our text, look at verse 11. Moses responds with that question. Um, well, who am I? Who am I that I should go? Number four, spiritual leaders often have a sense of inadequacy for the task. Number four, spiritual leaders often have a sense of inadequacy for the task. I think appropriately so, wouldn't you? Who is a big enough man to lead a nation of millions of people out across the wilderness into the promised land? No man can do that. The spiritual leadership has a lot the same feeling to it. I'm, I'm reminded of First uh, Corinthians Chapter 1, the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but you might notate that if you're taking notes. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, say begin with about, um, oh, verse 26. It's where Paul talks about the fact, the Apostle Paul writes there, that God chose foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He chose weak things of the world to bring down the mighty. And then in chapter 2, he begins to break out into a personal testimony about his own fear and trepidation of being a spiritual leader. And you say, the Apostle Paul? The mighty Apostle Paul? Yes, the mighty Apostle Paul. 
He says in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or of wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Amen? And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I have an idea that this is why God had Moses in the wilderness for 40 years. Because before in his youth, when he was breaking out of Pharaoh's court, he wasn't ready to lead In fear and trepidation, he thought he knew how to lead people. Some Bible scholars have questioned the authenticity of Moses' response to God. That is, God says, Moses, I want you to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And then in verse 11, he says, who, me? Why should I do this? I tell you, I think that it was with all the reality and overwhelming sense of his own incapacity to do this job that Moses responded. I think for a couple reasons, even though Stephen in Acts 7, as I referenced, in, in Hebrews 11, you have a little bit of insight as well on Moses. It said in, in Acts 7, when Stephen is preaching, he said that Moses was a man mighty in word and deed, and that he was eloquent. That's what that mighty in word means, he was eloquent. And yet the implication and the ramification is in chapter 4, when you turn the page in Exodus chapter 4, and that's where Moses is still kind of bantering with God, arguing, trying to get out of the call of spiritual leadership, and he throws the stick on the ground and it becomes a serpent. Basically what he tells God there is that I can't speak, I stutter. And I think that after 40 years out in the wilderness, Moses was so far removed From his education and his lofty past, he couldn't remember trigonometry anymore. He couldn't remember how to line the stars up so much anymore for direction at night. He he couldn't remember his Latin. And some of you know the feeling of being out in the pasture for so long that you lose your confidence. And you think, man, I can't do that stuff. When I was young, I could do it. But now that I'm older, I can't do that stuff. I think that's exactly where Moses is. Who, me? You've got you to gotta be kidding me. And God was bringing him to a place where he would say in New Testament, in New Testament terms, where Moses would say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's the only way I can do it. Where he might break out in song, grace alone that God provides to do all this. Finally, We see from our text today that spiritual leaders should understand that God's calling, a spiritual leader should understand that God's calling is his greatest credential for ministry. Let your eyes go to verses 14 and 15, and we need to close out. God said to Moses, I am who I am, in verse 14. And he says to Moses, say this to the people. And he tells him what to say. Look in verse 15, he says, and say this to the people. The Lord, your God of your fathers, say this, say this. And then Moses responds and says, what if they don't listen? And when you read that and you look at it, the idea is that Moses is to revisit this point in his life. And he's to remember the burning bush. And he's to remember the promise of God here. Notice in verse 17, God said, and I promise 
that I will bring this out. Another lesson is that spiritual leaders rely upon the promises of God. And my point here is this, that in the future, as Moses stands before the people and he delivers the message that God has given him and met, God has given you a message to deliver to the people. A specific message tied up in 66 specific books between two leather covers. Don't get off message. And as you deliver the message and the people question, what are you supposed to say? What do I say? God says, tell them I said. Keep telling them I said. I think that Moses is supposed to revisit his calling. Here's what you do. You remember that I called you. Go do your job. And that is one of the most credentialing things that a a minister can have. I am called to this ministry. That's it. And I'm delivering the word. Receive the word. It's interesting that in Hebrews 13, the congregation is exhorted to make it a joy by following their spiritual leaders and receiving the word, as well as modeling their lives after them. It's to be an example. Spiritual leaders should understand that God's calling is the greatest credential for ministry. Spiritual leaders rely upon the promises of God. What did Moses have? Moses had, Moses had a stale education. Moses had 40 years in the wilderness as a nobody. And then out of nowhere comes the burning bush and the call of God upon his life. What Moses has is he has the promise of God and the word of God. That's all we have, Matt. Church, that's all we have. We have the word of God. We're to be committed to that word. And that's how God uses spiritual leaders. If you are privileged enough, and I have been in the past, to have a godly spiritual leader in your life, you're blessed. All people, including spiritual leaders, need spiritual leaders. And I'm blessed to have men around me who lead me spiritually. And Matt, as you go, may the Lord bless you. May he strengthen you for the task. He found you in obscurity in some attic in Martinsburg. And now at age 41, off you go. Deliver his word as he's called you. Let's bow for prayer. Why don't we just stand? It also occurs to me, as we stand and let's bow our heads, we'll be dismissed in prayer momentarily. It occurs to me, remember my third reason for preaching this, first to encourage Matt, second to encourage the congregation, thirdly, I wonder if Matt's testimony of kneeling here with the elders' hands upon him today, I wonder if Moses' testimony saying, who me? Found in obscurity, I wonder if there's a young man or a young woman that God is placing a call upon your life, I would be happy for you to slip out right now before I pray and come kneel at the steps as an, as an indication of your willingness to hear God's call, to follow God's call, to do whatever God wants to do with your life, an act of surrender that he would have all of you, as Chris sang this morning. You don't have to be embarrassed, and it's okay if no one comes, but maybe someone, it doesn't have to be a young person either, Moses was 80 years old. Maybe you should come and kneel down before I pray. That's it. 
and just tell God right now could be a defining moment in my life. I'll wait just a moment. And so, Father, may your Holy Spirit take the word um, that's ministered to us today and encourage and strengthen us. Particularly, would you encourage Matt and Amy through the word today that he would recognize that he's in a long line of spiritual leaders. Most that you've used have a testimony of utter inadequacy. Would you fill them with your spirit? Prepare him as he goes to preach the word, to be the man that you want him to be. Father, for anybody here today who has a tender heart for your call, may they hear your voice, that still small voice, as they recognize that you're stirring their heart and mind. Somehow you want to use them. Please accomplish your purposes in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.